The first reading can be found on page 93 of the Pew Bibles and is taken from Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 to 9, and then continuing verse 29 to 35. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. O Lord, if I have found favour in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, He removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading may be found on page 1159 of your Pew Bibles and is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody, 
You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, you have brought this sinner close to your throne. You have brought each one of us as sinners close to your throne. And I pray that just there we may learn more about you this morning. The words from your lips. That your spirit may enter our hearts and set us on fire with love for you. Amen. So, just to bring us all up to date, we're continuing to look at uh, Moses this week. And this, of course, is the sort of Ten Commandments, take two. Uh, Why is it take two? 
Well, we'll come to that in just a moment. This is a bit of an encore, and you'll remember that last week James uh, set the scene, uh, and he said that the, the Ten Commandments are a bit like the rules of a game. It's the rules of uh, engagement, just to prevent chaos breaking out. And, and since that first trip up the mountain, uh, Moses has been up and he's been back down again. Uh, they've set out the rules of agreement. The covenant, the covenant uh, has been confirmed. There have been various rules uh, in order that their relationship uh, would be made clear. They've made an ark for the tablets. They've made a tabernacle that the ark can go into and, and be kept. All sorts of rules have been agreed for the priests, uh, who they should be, what they should wear, and so on. And then on one visit to Sinai, uh, Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and he spends about 40 days, 40 nights, it's just a long period of time, up on the mountain. And while he's up there, the people get so frustrated that they've got nothing to focus on. They've got nothing to see, because Moses isn't there. So they melt their gold rings, their earrings, and they make the golden calf so that they've actually got something visible that they can bow down and worship. And of course, God tells Moses what they're doing. Moses rushes down the mountain with the stone tablets and smashes them on the ground in front of them because of their rebellion and their waywardness. So it is that we come to the second set of tablets and Moses and Aaron plead with God for forgiveness and uh, there's this wonderful exchange, not that we actually read it, uh, where God asks Moses to bring up the new tablets, he just says to them, look I'll do the writing, you bring the stone, we'll meet tomorrow morning it's it's just a charming little section, it's just like meeting for coffee it's brilliant so Moses goes up God writes the tablets again and he comes down with his face ablaze, radiant. Uh, And of course, in order to speak to the terrified Israelites, he has to put a veil over his face. So, so much for the background. Two very short things, just really one point this morning. We're going to look at the law and then this radiance uh, of Moses from God. God gave them the laws so that they could engage with him. They knew the, uh, the sort of rules of the game. But what he got was rebellion. If you follow the rules, you are honourable, you're just, you're right, you're correct. But how does it really change you? Probably actually very little. The law doesn't define who you are. If I may be so bold as to draw attention to Eric here, who's on the the sound system this morning. Have you noticed the sound system this morning? Yes, because you can hear. But normally, you see, we only draw reference to Eric when it goes wrong. (laughs) You know, and forgive us for that, but it's probably true. If it's working perfectly, you don't notice it. I uh, flew up to Edinburgh and back on Tuesday... But bizarrely, it didn't make the newspapers. (laughs) Why was that? Because the plane took off, it landed the other end, it took off and it landed back at Gatwick. If it had landed in the sea, you would have heard all about it. 
Only when things go wrong do you actually hear. What God is saying through the, the law, and certainly in the New Covenant, in the, in the New Testament, is that we can't save ourselves through the law. The law can only tell you where you've gone wrong. We can't repair a relationship once the law is broken. Once the plane has landed in the sea, you cannot pretend that it didn't. It has. And that's why we used our second passage as well from 2 Corinthians. You may well like to have kept a finger in, in both. But in our second passage, we see the authority and the credence of Paul's workers. He was asked, do they not need letters of recommendation? We need to know who these people are. And he says, no, 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 I don't need that at all. I've got something far better than that. If you look at verse uh, 6 in that passage, he's made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter, of course, in this instance, is the law. And the law, uh, the written law, Paul is saying, you can only condemn yourself by that written law. The written law can only kill. And as soon as you break one law, you are a lawbreaker. Romans 6, 23 sells us that, doesn't it? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because the glory is the character of God. Ephesians 2 says virtually the same thing. It is by grace that you have been saved, not by works, so that no one may boast. You cannot work your own way back to God. We are all sinners brought to his throne. So it was that Paul and his fellow workers had something so much better than the law. And of course the Jewish faith was all predicated upon the law, doing the right thing in the right way. And Paul is saying, no, this is a new covenant. This is something fresh. This is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself transforming us. We don't need a letter of recommendation because you can see God in us. God welcomes us despite the fact that we're lawbreakers. We can put right our relationship. And this is where we come to the glory of God. This is the point. Because we've already seen that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we've already said that uh, following the gift of the law, the Israelites set up a, a tabernacle. It's a, a dwelling place. It's for the presence of God. That's what it was all about. That's why the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem became their ultimate focus. Everything revolved around it because that was where the presence of God was. And ever since they've spoken of this Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory of God, it literally means the settling place of God. And when Moses came down the mountain, his face displayed the presence of God. He had the Shekinah glory of God upon him, the presence of God within him. 
They couldn't look at him. I don't know whether that because it, it altered his face or whether they were just too scared. So he wore a veil. And he covered his face when he was radiant and he took it off when he was in the presence of God. What does that say to us? I think it probably says that when we're in the presence of God, we, sh- we share the presence of God. And when we walk away from him, so that presence fades and it grows dim. He needed to be refueled. He was leaky. And I'm leaky too. Because radiance is, is a bit like a light, isn't it? It's that something shining. It's emitting from us the whole time. And we like the light. Colin's already mentioned right at the beginning the beautiful sunshine this morning streaming in, lighting us up, giving us the glory of God. We can see each other, we can see ourselves, we can see what we're doing, we can see what we're eating. It's helpful. And then when we move away from the light, we move into the darkness. And the darkness has all sorts of connotations of threatening, of of danger, of uncertainty. And I felt this last uh, Sunday. Last Sunday morning, Debbie very kindly uh, got Marion and I at the front just to say that we're going to stay here for our curacy. And we're absolutely thrilled to bits about that. But I have to say, it made me feel incredibly inadequate. I am a sinner. I stand before you as a fallen person. I am not perfect. How can I possibly stand and teach you and help us, all of us, to reach God? How can I do that? Knowing what I do, what I'm like. I felt really inadequate. Uh, But the good thing is that the grace of God says, I I know that, but I want you to do something. And he made me speak last Sunday evening. Um, It was was about the uh, feeding of the 5,000. And it occurred to me as I was, I was preparing that and certainly thinking it through during the day that we have come to serve God and God alone. As a surveyor, I'm a very logical, practical person. Someone asks me to do something and I work out the best way to do it. But God doesn't want me to tell him what to do. He doesn't want me to work out his, uh, his expectation on his behalf. He simply wants me to come. We can't work our way to him because we'll never do it. We will never fulfill all the requirements of the law. That is why we only live when we live by the Spirit. Because it's then that we're not looking to God to, for his favour. We're not saying who we are. We're looking at whom he is. God looks instead at his son Jesus Christ in whom there was no fault at all. It was because of the presence of God that Moses was radiant. And again in Stephen, the stoning of Stephen... Full of grace and power, you see the people looking at him and they saw the face of an angel. There will be other people that we know and that we meet day by day in whom we see 
the presence of God. We can sense it because we know that they are close to God. I started last week um, in, a, in a bit of a confrontation. I, I let the uh, complainants into the room first and all three of them sat on one side of the desk so I had to sit on the other. Uh, and we had a very difficult meeting uh, which ended with uh, the lady in the middle saying, I, hope, uh, I trust you to be fair and I hope you are, otherwise I'm going to start a five-year social media campaign against you. I'm not sure how much she trusted me. Clearly not very much. And I think she'll be upset when I tell her what I've decided tomorrow. <laughs> the week wasn't great, but then we got to Friday afternoon. I was working from home, and at quarter to six, I just said to Mary, thank goodness that week's over. Uh, and up pops an email he had, this was someone else completely different. I'm going to read you what he said to me. Um, he'd already called a colleague of mine the lowest form of pond life. He continued to me, If you believe a swift chat with your internal HR, followed by a swift pint down the road, will allow this matter to end, you are very, very sorely mistaken. I will strive to ensure that at least one of your staff are either dismissed or never again work with any future within your already disgraced company. You, sir, have only done nothing other than amplify just how rotten is the very core of your own apple. It's a good way to finish a week, that. (laughs) I think we should pray for him. Out of the very core of his being has come his response. And out of the very core of ourselves will come our response. Uh, Marion read something. We were, we were going off uh, to visit our, our boys at university yesterday. And she said, listen to this man. This uh, was a policeman. He was uh, dealing with uh, a woman whose young child, 14-year-old girl, had just committed suicide. She had gone completely hysterical. She was smashing things up. Uh, And one policeman had taken her on one side because she just couldn't be trusted. She writes this. I found out later that there was a policeman assigned to the house. He could have stood guard at the front door or outside Izzy's bedroom door. There was no requirement for him to be in the room. But that man sat on the floor for two and a half hours holding my daughter's hand even though she was already dead. I can never thank him enough for that. It should have been me there. I should have been back with my daughter. That officer was also at Izzy's memorial service. He told me he will never forget her. Now, I've got no idea whether that man was a Christian or not. But I do sense the presence of God upon him. That was something out of the ordinary, out of his very core. He gave of himself to somebody else. The presence of God was upon him. And in that passage in in Corinthians, they still have a veil over their head. They still see the law. 
instead of the Spirit. Without realising there's no way of restitution, there's no way back. Thank God for our celebration this morning. Thank God for Jesus when we come to communion. Thank God that he came to save us from our sins. That anyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And of course Jesus said he was the light of the world. And we will shine with the glory of God when we spend time in his presence. The more time we spend in his presence, the more we soak up his presence. We need his spirit within, because it is from within that we show people uh, who we are and what we are. That day by day we can change from glory unto glory until in heaven we take our place. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how much we need your presence with us this morning. How much we yearn for your spirit in our very hearts, souls and minds. Help us to be today, help us to be tomorrow what we should be. Forgive our weaknesses. Forgive our sins and help us to forgive those who sin against us. Father, enable us in these days ahead to shine like a star for you, to bring your light to bear and to proclaim your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.